0: Welcome to episode 1933 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, although not from where I often am. Ben, how are you?
1: I'm doing alright. You sound the same. I don't think anyone would have known.
0: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. You know, you you never know what uh, new Wi Fi networks and uh, a lack of a mic stand will do. I feel like. Feel like Frankie at the Sands, just got my mic in my hand. Hopefully, that does not result in a lot of weird sounds. But yeah. anyway, the day before Thanksgiving,
1: mm-hmm. you're potting without home field advantage. This yeah. is a, a hotel pod. We'll see whether anyone can <laughs> notice now that we've alerted everyone. But
0: oh, gave it away.
1: I'm given thanks that I have not been bombarded by suggestions for baseball tweets or baseball Twitter traditions that we overlooked in our oh. baseball Twitter draft. It, it seems like we did a decent job, at least so far. I'm sure some more suggestions will trickle in, but it seems like people have enjoyed that. I have collated a short list of the submissions that I've seen of oversights on our part, and one of them is... John Boyce just in general Mm. Which did occur to me after We finished drafting how did we not have John Boyce Represented here I couldn't really think of a Specific John Boyce tweet because almost Every John Boyce tweet is good but People suggested that One thing would be John Boyce's Watching baseball tweets Mm -hmm. His series where he just tweets Some strange screenshot Or gif or video clip that Happened during a baseball game and says Watching baseball just to represent the strangest Of the things that sometimes happen in baseball games and then also the Jeff Sullivan, John Boyce, years-long, ongoing baseball reference name threads Yes. back and forth, which are one of the joys of baseball Twitter for sure, where they will just find some obscure, strange name, sometimes a, a themed name, and then the other one will have to respond in kind. So that is a great baseball Twitter tradition yeah. that I'm sorry that we neglected. Also, editor and producer Dylan Higgins, he nominated a great tweet by Bill Bayer. This is an old one. This is 10 years old, and it's a a lose-yourself adaptation. Mm. It's Zito's palms are sweaty, Curve's weak arm is heavy, there's vomit (laughs) on his uni already, here comes Dave (laughs) Righetti. Yes, very good. (laughs) It's a good one. Very good. Also gets retweeted often. And somehow we neglected a Nightingale tweet. Despite mm. drafting every other Nightingale tweet, <laughs> seemingly, and it was one of the simplest ones. This was January tenth, twenty twenty, when Bob Nightingale tweeted MLB. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's the tweet, as they say.
0: <laughs> I think that if it had been the MLB, it probably right. would have made made the pod.
1: Yeah, I no. mean, kudos to him for at least <laughs> leaving that out. I don't know what he was going for here. Some people pointed out that it sounded as if he was reporting that there would be MLB action and then oh. there wasn't for quite some time because it was 2020. So in a sense, I guess you could lump it in with the Bob Nightingale incorrectly reports things genre. But I enjoyed that one and also the fact that the at MLB Twitter account responded to it and just tweeted back Bob, which was good. I thought about <laughs> Whether we should tweet like sassy team Twitter accounts. Mm. But I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or not. Like (sighs) especially when they go back and forth with each other and there's some like good natured ribbing and and trolling. Not always good natured. I mean No,
0: sometimes it's (laughs) it gets a little it gets a little personal. You're like, That's the thing. Are they okay?
1: (laughs) Right. Like I'm never sure if it's a work, like if they're putting on a show if they're like pretending right. that there's bad blood because a lot of the the team Twitter accounts, it, it's centralized now, the social media people, yeah. right? Like they work for MLB. Yeah. So I assume Famously. that there's some kind of coordination and inclusion going on here probably where you don't really have people going rogue on the team Twitter accounts oh, and yeah. trashing other team Twitter accounts. So maybe it's kind of a choreographed dance that they do for our entertainment. So because of that, because I'm never sure just how authentic and sincere it is, I didn't draft it, but there certainly have been some good ones over the years.
0: Yeah, I feel like we are, um, you know, we are lending to baseball Twitter a patina of peace and humor that is not always present there. But if it is to to meet its end, that's how I I'd, I'd prefer to remember <laughs> it. Right? Mm-hmm. You could you could decide that what matters is the. You know, brain power we all spent debating like the intricacies of FIP, but why? Yeah. You know, like why? We could all let things go more, you know? I mean, there are some <laughs> things we shouldn't let go, but like some things we should. And yes, I think that baseball Twitter is home to a lot of them. She says, having never overreacted <laughs> or held on to anything for too long ever in her life.
1: <laughs> yep, no glass houses here. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always a little suspicious of brands. Tweets that have as well. You should be yeah. Like there are some good ones. Uh, obviously, like it's a little bit played out because that that became a trend where right. you would have certain brands that would tweet with a distinctive voice, and that was kind of weird and entertaining at first, and then it caught on, and and now everyone does it. I don't love the the first person brand yeah. tweets. Where yeah, it just it's like your calls sandwich. Attention. Relax. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but MLB team Twitter accounts, I guess it's okay. They don't pretend to be people usually, or they don't pretend to like be personifications of a a person, or use first person singular maybe sometimes they do but i don't know i just when it's a a corporate kind of thing i just i never know whether i should authentically laugh or or whether yeah
0: (laughs) you know the ones that i find to be the most disturbing honestly are the mascots that have their own (laughs) oh yeah you know because every it feels like every mascot twitter account went through a phase where it was like what the kids will like is for this mascot to be vaguely horny online. Mm-hmm. And I could have done without that, you know. I don't mm-hmm. want to yuck anyone's yum. And if that's your thing, you know, God bless. As long as everyone's saying yes and having a good time, it's none of my business. But mm-hmm. I don't need to think about, like, what the what the moose likes, you know. I don't <laughs> – and there are times that you see these tweets about the mascots and and you, you're like, do they think that we want to, you know, with the mascot? Like, is that mm-hmm. what they – and I know that there is a subset of the population that says enthusiastically yes to that. And again, mm-hmm. that's it's your deal. That's fine. That's not mm-hmm. my deal, but that can be your deal. But I don't know that we needed to be like an aspect of Twitter. And it seems like every brand every mascot Twitter went through a phase where they were like, you know, what would get the kids going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, and I don't, I don't know about that. It's call me old fashioned, but I don't need that from my, from my brands. You know, it's like when it's like when all the brands were like, we too have clinical depression. I'm like, no, you don't. You're you're like a, you're a multinational corporation worth billions of dollars. Like mm-hmm. it's it's okay. You're the stars. They're not like us.
1: Yeah. The other omission, which I think was submitted by multiple people, was another John Heyman tweet. He was represented in this draft, but yeah, you
0: can't accuse us of not giving yeah. John his shine. Is that the right word to, to what we did?
1: <laughs> I don't know. This is my
0: BBWH afterhead. I'm sure it's fine.
1: <laughs> but yeah, we were we were close to the target. We picked the right people. We we didn't <laughs> always necessarily pick all of the right tweets, right. but. This one was from July seventh, twenty 2013, thirteen, three fifty-two PM. John Heyman, this is when he was with CBS still. Huge homer by Adam Jones at simply AJ10. Two run shot off Mariano with one out in ninth for two one O's lead. Hashtag huge tits. <laughs> oh, no
0: Oh no.
1: I assume it was supposed to be huge hits. <laughs>
0: I mean, who knows, you know? <laughs>
1: who knows? <laughs> I'm not sure that one exists anymore, but it has been preserved for posterity. There are many screenshots circling, so yeah.
0: Wow. That's that's kinda magical. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> boy anyway wow. thanks for uh for people who nominated yeah. tweets that we overlooked and neglected and you can feel free to to keep them coming but i feel good about the draft i mean mostly craig goldstein was just so comprehensive in his accounting of every tweet ever that oh yeah couldn't possibly have missed that many
0: yeah i mean like like he said he prepped more for that than he maybe has for anything <laughs> yep in his life and um It just is a testament to how everyone tweets too much, really, that Mm -hmm. we were able to miss any. Because I felt like we really gave it a thorough canvas. But apparently, you know. There have been a lot of tweets. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot. You know, sometimes been. I will like notice that someone has tweeted something, often a piece that I might want to read and I forget about it or I open it in a tab, but then I close the tab because I'm Mm -hmm. in constant battle with the tabs. Also newsletters, you know, everyone's (laughs) thinking about doing newsletters now, even more everyone that is already doing newsletters is thinking about doing newsletters. And I have a folder in my Gmail that is just newsletters. And I like to think that it's like someday I might read that. And I know I never (laughs) <laughs> but I can't have stuff in my inbox, that's extraneous Anyway, that's not the point of this story But there's like a whole folder of newsletters and it's like i bet there's good stuff in there i'm never gonna find out but anyway mm-hmm. so i will go back to people's twitter timelines to be like oh yeah i know that craig tweeted that thing and then i just am like there's so many tweets and i don't yep. want to pick on craig because this happens with a lot of different people <laughs> but you know
1: with craig specifically also <laughs> but
0: often with craig and i will just sit there and be like how are there this many tweets and craig does a much better job i should praise craig as i'm as i'm making fun of him like you know, because my baseline tolerance for Twitter is a lot lower than any of the people that were on that podcast, <laughs> I probably don't do as good a job as I should of tweeting all the good stuff that people write for fan graphs. And mm-hmm. Craig does a very, very good job of that for baseball perspective. So this is me giving a hat tip to our friend Craig for that. But sometimes I'm like, the you know, I already read those things. Like BP is a place where I reliably read, you know. Yes. Like- I'm trying to find that other thing you tweeted, and I can't because there's been, you know, uh, an entire, like, human historical record between. Now and this morning Anyway, Twitter I don't know if I'll miss it I I suspect I won't Another friend of ours in the the biz In the industry was like So what's everyone going to migrate to? And I was like, I don't know I don't think I can figure out Mastodon It It seems too complicated And I guess I'm going to have to though And another friend was like, do you? Like we're we're over 35, can't we just be done? Like do we have to learn a new thing?
1: Yeah, Uh, right Yeah, people sometimes ask like Well, do you have to be on Twitter for your job? And No, not necessarily. I have... Colleagues who are not on Twitter, or at least don't have Twitter accounts Mm. and don't tweet. They may lurk. So if you have to be there, then I guess it gets to be an imposition. And I don't necessarily have to be there. I find that it is helpful often for my job. It's helpful often for reporting, just in in contacting people. And it's helpful for learning things and seeing things and becoming aware of things that I wouldn't have become aware of, which is not always a good thing. is sometimes a good thing. Yeah. So, I do find it's helpful and and as you said, like even if we forget to read some of the things that we see on there that we meant to read, we still see some of them. So, right. it helps. But could I do my job not being on there or if it were to cease to exist? Yeah, probably. So,
0: well, and here I think we will both acknowledge that we sit in a pretty fortunate position, and that, like we are already full time yes. and established, and so it is much easier for us to say, "No, I don't have to right. be on there or I don't have to be active on there because we're not you know mm-hmm. living the freelance life anymore, so you know, people's mileage on the necessity of the app is really going to vary, I think, for reasons beyond us all, like being brain poisoned by the internet but <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just like, you know, anything. You got to know where your own boundary with the thing is, and it might be different from other people's. Like, I'm less anxious if I'm not on there a ton, and so Mm -hmm. I try not to be. But I also walked into this hotel room, said, hey, I can pod, and then immediately opened Twitter. So, you know, (laughs) who who am I to judge, really? No one. I'm no one to judge. I am trying to be less judgmental. Was there any baseball news today while I was Not blind? a ton.
1: No, not really. <laughs> there hasn't been a ton of baseball news since we last actually talked about baseball news. There have been a few transactions. I guess we never actually circled back to talk about the Kyle Lewis trade. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you have thoughts Kyle about Lewis. that. We talked about the Teoscar Hernandez trade. Yeah. But there was also a Kyle Lewis trade, so if you uh, have some... belated thoughts on yeah, on the can... Kyle Lewis Cooper Hummel Mariners Diamondbacks swap,
0: well, I have a couple of things to say about that. The okay. first of which is that I just I think that we can sometimes get like overly enchanted with makeup as a concept, not like the kind you put on your face, but. Uh, in the baseball sense. I've never heard anything but just like really wonderful things about Kyle Lewis and I feel badly for him as a human being and for the rest of us as people who like watching good baseball players that he just has struggled so much to stay healthy. He, you know, blew out his knee in a a freak terrible way when he was still a prospect. So I don't know what the Diamondbacks will really be able to get out of him. We have seen what like the good version of Kyle Lewis looks like, and it is rookie of the year caliber, albeit in a compressed season. I don't really think that Kyle Lewis can play center field anymore just because of the toll that the... Injury has taken on his speed, but I also think that the Diamondbacks have a lot of other options there, including Dalton Barshow for reasons that will remain mysterious <laughs> for the rest of our lives. And I like I like it for the Dbacks because, like Kyle Lewis is not often healthy, but can be very productive and impactful when he is. And so if he can stay healthy, he seems like the kind of player who a team in the D-backs position, I thought this was a very good point that Justin Choi made when he wrote up the trade for us. Like, This is exactly the kind of guy who the D-backs should try to cycle through and hopefully because I like Kyle Lewis and think he seems like a good dude, like hopefully this works out for him specifically, but more generally like them moving through sort of post-prospect guys to see who are – players who can supplement what we're trying to do as we're breaking this you know emergent core in at the major league level like this is what they should do we have seen the giants do this to pretty great effect right where they kind of cycle through guys and they have a good sense of what they're looking for and if it's someone who proves better or fixable or compatible with what they're trying to do great and if not they do move on from them but like that's kind of what teams who are on the rise should be doing Mm -hmm. in terms of seattle like They have a lot of options in that outfield. I think we will probably see further consolidation from them. But, you know, they're going to have Julio in center. Teoscar will play one of the corners. And then they have a lot of internal candidates for... The other corner, even with Haniger departing in free agency and presumably Jesse Winker maybe being uh, a trade candidate himself. I will say my primary impression of Cooper Hummel, having seen a surprising amount of Cooper Hummel because I live in Arizona and mm-hmm. have just seen him back there. You know, some, sometimes, Ben, you're someone who watches catchers. When you watch catchers, do you ever go, that guy seems small? <laughs> <laughs> That's just been my primary impression of Cooper Hummel as a player, which is unfair to him because he does other stuff although hitting was not one of them at least at the major league level last year he has been better in the minors over the years but sometimes I'm like you just seem like you're kind of tiny to take the abuse that guys take back there but I don't know they'll see they'll kind of see what he is they they definitely need someone behind Cal Raleigh whether that will end up being Cooper Hummel I don't candidly know but if he ends up being either a kind of interesting versatile bench piece or a guy who just like hangs out in AAA and does AAA stuff I don't know. It seemed like uh, it's... I, I like one-for-one one swaps like as a category mm-hmm. of trade. If we were drafting categories <laughs> of trades, that mm, would there's probably... There's an idea. File yeah. that one away. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be high on my board because I, I just like one-for-one one challenge trades. And from from organizations that are not in the exact same spot, obviously, like Seattle is further along in their you know ascent back to being relevant than... Arizona is and even though they have to deal with the Astros I think they have an easier divisional path certainly (laughs) than the D-backs do who just have to contend with like a lot of the best teams in baseball, some of whom have a lot of money, and one of which has A.J. Preller, who's willing to just do crazy stuff to get good players. So mm-hmm. anyway, those are my <laughs> – That was a lot more thoughts about Kyle yeah, Lewis and I – You had a Hummel lot of thoughts.
1: I, I wasn't expecting that many thought thoughts. thought I would have, but here
0: I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, people should check out Justin Choi's piece, uh, Typical of Justin. It is good.
1: hmm And the other – Notable transactions, well, stretching the definition of notable, maybe, is that there were a bunch of shortstop swaps, just sort of a, a shortstop merry-go-round. Or as and Michael
0: Bauman put it, a short swap.
1: Ah, good old Michael. Always good with the witticisms and the wordplay. Yeah, he's clever. And the biggest one, like the headliner here, I guess, would be the Geo Urshela trade. So yeah. not that huge a deal, but the Angels got themselves a Geo Urshela and the Yankees re Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who is already under team control. This is just a avoiding arbitration deal. And then basically each shortstop who went to one team, his old team replaced him with another shortstop from another team, and then there was just a chain of shortstop replacements. So Yeah. Urshela went from the twins to the Angels and then the the twins needed someone so Kyle Farmer went from the Reds to the Twins and then the Reds needed someone and so Kevin Newman went from the Pirates to the Reds (laughs) and I guess that's where the chain stopped for now the Pirates maybe they just don't need anyone because they're the Pirates but not huge news obviously if I said shortstop news people might get excited because it could be one of the very famous and superstar shortstops that guy <laughs> no <laughs> yeah keep going down the list yeah, that, uh, yeah. down a little yeah. one more oh keep going though yeah oh. technically Kind of a shortstop, even right, in some yeah. cases. I don't. I'm stretching <laughs> that definition too here. Talking about Gio Urshela. Right. So. I love that
0: the biggest name that moved is it's a guy who has played really a not yeah. a lot of shortstop at the big league level. In fairness, like he has been blocked by Francisco Lindor, and then he was blocked in New York by I guess Glaber Torres at the time, and then also later by Carlos Correa. So you know those mm-hmm. guys are good shortstops. Well, Glaber not so much, but the rest of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I don't have as many thoughts about these moves as as you had about the Kyle Lewis trade, even <laughs> even though this is multiple trades. But but the Angels, they're they're going for it. I guess we say this every offseason, <laughs> they're making moves. Yeah, but those moves actually pay off. Probably not, but they're doing stuff. So I mean,
0: I like that move for I like that move for L.A. I have liked everything L.A. has done so far this offseason, it's very disorienting Mm -hmm. because like I think that one of the things that we have asked over and over in increasingly pleading tones when it comes to the Angels is like just put a 500 club around these two megawatt stars that you have on your roster Mm -hmm. and like Gio Urshela isn't you know, a superstar, but he is a good and competent big yeah. leaguer. Yeah, just He's gets a some guy. average
1: players. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. watched a just lot like, of Angels baseball the last few years. Yeah. Not enough average players on the yeah. team. Yeah,
0: yeah, and like sometimes Urshela is better than that, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has flashed better than that at times. And, you know, it's not like Anthony Rendon has lately been the paragon of health. So if you... Assume that he might end up having to moonlight at third occasionally if like there's any issues with Rendon's health at some point. I think that's, you know what? I think it's it's a good move. I think that it is a good solid move. You know, Mm -hmm. this is just, it's kind of like the rotation stuff where like this is just a normal, (laughs) regular ass major league rotation. This is a rotation that plays and you're like, it's not bad and some Mm -hmm. of it is really good. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they keep doing that and then they get, you know, Trout and Otani, I don't know, maybe maybe um, they'll get they'll get to do one more hurrah before Otani becomes a Seattle Mariner, which <laughs> have I they
1: had a hurrah. <laughs> well,
0: you know, there was that one time <laughs> they looked that like my they were going
1: to have hurrahs. Yeah, yeah. Like
0: but maybe they can have an they can have a hurrah. They can. Yeah. Go for right. Hurrah. Yeah. yeah,
1: they had a hurrah pre-Otani And then right. they, they've had some times when it, it looked like They might be in position to have a hurrah But then Like ultimately, early last season No hurrahs were had, yeah No
0: hurrahs, yeah
1: Yeah, I don't know if this is a, a vote of no confidence in Rendon Or whether it's just a, a depth move Just hedging against his eventual injury yeah. Or whether they will actually play him regularly at shortstop Or, or yeah. what Or whether Rendon would DH at some point I don't know yeah. But seems totally. helpful to have have competent players around, yeah. which is yeah something that they haven't had enough. By the way, I made a crack at the the Pirates' expense. There, I know they have a shortstop. He is very big. You can't miss him. Yeah, so, you can't. As big long and as, as long as O'Neill Cruz is around and, and at shortstop, they can do without Kevin Newman. I suppose, although he had a, a fairly good season by Kevin Newman standards. Yeah. So anyway. That's that move. And that basically takes us to the end of the <laughs> trades and sightings that have happened so far that we haven't discussed. There was a Hall of Fame ballot announced. Mm. I don't know whether you looked at this in depth, but.
0: Well, I did because I edited Juan J. Jaffe. Oh, ah, excellent. And, you know, this is Jay in his prime, mm-hmm. is when this season rolls around. Yeah. It's a when, lot of guys.
1: When do you become eligible to vote? for Hall of Fame stuff?
0: Let's see. My first year in the association was 2019. Ah, okay. So So it's going to be a while. Yeah, I have a little ways to go yet.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you don't have to worry about (laughs) any dilemmas about what you will do. And I don't know that you have felt that there will be a dilemma, the way that I was feeling last year. Yeah. And I guess every year I have to now reconfront that, or I could just default to not voting like I did last year. I got to say, I, I haven't rued my decision at any point. I have not felt remorse. I have yeah. not experienced regret. It's been fine. I opted not to submit a ballot. Didn't penalize anyone. You didn't submit
0: a blank ballot. Just
1: withdrew myself from the process for various reasons, which I detailed at some length on this podcast, which I think episode 1792 maybe was the one where I went through that. And some things have changed since then in the sense that the most reprehensible slash problematic people who were on the ballot there, whether for on or off field issues, have been removed, at least some of them. The the more famous ones have at least migrated to whatever we are calling the Veterans Committee ballot these days, and so it's no longer the BBWAA's problem. And there are not many new viable candidates, and each of them, if you want to be generous and say there are two, each of them comes with some kind of baggage. Right. It seems like there's not a lot of like uncomplicated, unproblematic Hall of Fame kids these days. I, I don't know whether that is just a reflection of the fact that we pay attention to things that we didn't used to pay attention yeah. to. It's it's certainly partly that. Yeah. But it, it also seems like, I don't know, over-representation of, of just like issues.
0: Of, of stinkers.
1: Yeah, and I don't even mean PD issues. And right, yeah. off the no, field I mean off-the-field issues. And yeah. this year, the only really, I think, legitimate candidate or likely to have gotten in, aside from baggage candidate, is Carlos Beltran. Yeah. And I don't know that he would have necessarily been a first ballot guy just because – the the traditional stats, the counting stats, he's yeah. not in the big round number clubs. He doesn't have a bad argument by back of the baseball card stats, but but maybe a somewhat stronger argument by advanced stats and jaws and war by which he seems to be pretty much a shoe in. He's like a top 10 center fielder of all time. The only issue with him, though, is uh, that he was an astro science dealer and not just any astro science dealer. But per various reports, one of the masterminds, yeah. yeah. So I assume that that will be held against him. For some period of time, yeah. I don't know whether that will be considered as big a strike as PDs or positive tests or anything like that. But it's it's hard to say how voters will weigh one type of cheating against another type of cheating. <laughs> but I would assume that because he was probably not a slam dunk shoe in first ballot guy, regardless of the sign stealing. even though statistically maybe he should have been that this will hold him off for, for at least this year and we yeah. will see it. And and he's one of the few who has not really been welcomed back with open arms into the baseball community, right? Like he he actually did suffer a consequence. He lost his yeah. job as manager of the Mets. He's not gotten another one. He was a Yankees broadcaster this past year, but he hasn't had an in uniform job, even though he was looked on as a, a pretty hot prospect as a manager. So yeah that still seems to be held against him to some extent in baseball circles and maybe in media circles too. The only other perhaps... If you sort of squint, candidate who's a new addition to the ballot who could be a Hall of Famer is Francesca Rodriguez. (laughs) (laughs) And there you have a laundry list of of issues and domestic violence and all sorts of stuff. He's a candidate who, I mean, I'm not a pro-reliever for the Hall guy in general. Jay made the point in his piece that you can come up with some comps of candidates who are in the hall or, or who have made real runs at it, who have had comparable careers to Rodriguez. But between all the off-the-field stuff and and him not being a shoo-in either and Billy Wagner still being on the ballot and not being yeah. in and everything, I wouldn't expect that he would have a, a very strong case. Like He, I'm sure, will stay on the ballot probably, or I guess I'm not totally sure, but he could stay on the ballot. But But that's about it. And so because there are only those guys added, and neither of them is going to get in, I would wager, this year. Yeah. And then you have all of the players who fell off, right. who have been hanging on there forever. Then that would seem to open up spots for the holdovers who yeah. have had high percentages and who have been making some gains. Prime among them, Scott Rowland, who yeah. I would guess he's going to get in this year. And yeah. if he doesn't, then he will almost certainly get in next year. And he's yeah. not close to the end of his eligibility. So I'm sure he would want to get in as soon as possible, but there's not that much suspense. Like, he seems like he's he's got to be a gimme at this point, pretty much.
0: Yeah, I think that that seems right, but I don't know, especially given that, what is it called now, she asks, <laughs> as she has edited like a jillion
1: pieces. It's impossible to remember. We should just bring back the Veterans Committee, because that's the only I thing know. anyone can remember. I cannot remember I the name. I can't
0: remember them. The
1: Contemporary Baseball Era yes. Committee is Sorry, what it's called. Jay. This year, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Contemporary Baseball Era Committee. I just edited the Dale Murphy one. My goodness. Jay, I'm sorry. I I promise I paid closer attention when editing than it's been able to stick in my brain. But, you know, particularly given some of the weirdness in that ballot, there were guys who weren't supposed to be on there who we haven't seen. There are a bunch of guys on there who seem to have no chance at all for election. It might just be a weird year in Cooperstown this summer if this coming summer rather if Roland doesn't get in this time yep. around so let's hope that he does because otherwise I don't know yeah don't know.
1: it could be a shutout which which has happened before it but, has happened before right the the players on the I have already forgotten contemporary <laughs> the, baseball era <laughs> committee <laughs> thank you Bonds Clemens Palmero Schilling Albert Bell Ugh. Boy,
0: yeah, Mattingly McGriff, yeah,
1: yeah, and right, and and Dale Murphy, you mentioned, and Murphy. yeah, and then some notable omissions. I, I don't know, like, what Lou Whitaker did to, to yeah. anyone there, like, why will they not even put why him on the ballot they? here, or yeah, Kenny Lofton, or, or others yeah. who have strong cases, David Cohn, but
0: yeah,
1: that'll be sort of interesting, I guess, just Boy to Evans, s- yeah. yeah, like, where, right, where's Mm-hmm. Wherefore? yeah just just to see how differently the baseball veteran types treat those candidates whom the baseball writers snubbed right. i don't know whether they will be more or less likely i would think in some cases even less likely to right. let them in yeah. which would seem to favor right the, the likes of mcgriff for instance Dale Murphy, Don yeah. Mattingly, well, they have varyingly strong cases. Right. You can always play the, well, Harold Baines got in game with, uh, with players like this right. who who were great for for a time, some for a very long time, and would not be the worst players in the Hall of Fame. You could play that game always. They would not be even close to the most questionable statistical selections by the various committees over right. the years. And because there are a few quote-unquote good guy candidates here where you yeah. could kind of check the box without having to worry about what they might say at their speech or what message you would be spending <laughs> by right. inducting them, maybe that means that they're more likely to, to get in. And on the BBWA ballot, by the way, you also have Todd Helton and you have Billy Wagner and, and Roland, and those are the guys who have been – over the 50% threshold and in Roland's case, over the 60% threshold. So I imagine they will all make gains. So I I still haven't decided what to do and I don't want to belabor it really, but I haven't regretted just sort of checking out of the process. (laughs) Like it's, it's been kind of nice not to. Part of me also wants to support Scott Roland. Again, like I don't feel a great urgency because I don't think he needs my vote necessarily right. maybe this year but he's going to get in yeah but it would be nice to to check the box next to scott Rowland's name yeah. but the problem is that my objections or reservations last year they were related to the specific players and names on the ballot but they were also largely about the process really and yeah. the, the process hasn't changed so in a sense it would kind of be a cop-out i think if i were to say well now that i no longer have to make a decision about Barry Bonds or whomever, then now I can just jump back into the pool because it's an easier decision. Not that it would be super easy because there are still players on that ballot who not only have uh, PD issues, but domestic violence issues, which was an even bigger issue for me, really. So nothing actually has changed like i i wanted there to be some kind of clarity as it pertains to the character clause like either get rid of the character clause or provide some sort of way that we could kind of account for character, like not necessarily wholeheartedly, unreservedly celebrate someone, just like note the whole legacy and the whole life and career, as opposed to just reducing everyone down to a a plaque with some numbers on it, which kind of elides some of the more unsavory stuff there. And there just didn't really seem to be a, a mechanism to account for that, at least in the plaque hall that everyone thinks of when they think of the Hall of Fame. So for that and other reasons, I just I didn't feel great about it, and yeah. none of that has actually changed, even though some of the names have changed. And there are still some shady names, and there will be more shady names in the future. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know how consistent it would be for me to vote this year, having not voted last year, unless I totally changed my thinking on things, and I don't know that I have so That's sort of where I am. If I don't vote this year, I would feel a little pang of regret for not getting to help push Roland over the hump. But again, he'll get there.
0: Yeah, I think that that is likely to be true. Yeah, you really you kind of put yourself in a bind there, Ben.
1: Yeah, I guess I did. You
0: put yourself <laughs> in a little bit of a bind.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay with it, though. Again, I know. You're it's like, fine. <laughs> it's
0: always easier to not do things. So. It is easier
1: not to do things. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this is like kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and I, mean, I certainly yes. like for a long time thought it would be a very cool thing and and didn't think that I would have any issues or hangups about this and would not have envisioned myself not voting. So things have changed with, with my thinking and the collective thinking and just the people who were on the ballot and all of that. And it became less of a cool thing or less of an uncomplicated cool yeah. thing. And I just kept going back and forth and I didn't feel great about either course and ultimately decided, well, I don't really want to endorse the process as it currently works. And I feel okay about just kind of either kicking the can down the road or, or just... Being a, I don't know, a conscientious <laughs> Hall of Fame objector or whatever it is, just not having the headache of it, I felt fine about and have continued to to feel mostly fine about. It's just a, a decision that will recur every year for as long as I'm yeah. eligible to vote and a member of the Baseball Writers Association. So.
0: God, can you imagine the weird noises I'm going to make when I have to fill out a, <laughs> a Hall of Fame ballot? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I was so nervous. To do like a, a semi complicated, controversial rookie of the year vote, I'm gonna like <laughs>
1: have a
0: stroke or something. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna reach a register only dog skin here. It's gonna be something. Yeah. We, we have to keep podcasting so that you can hear it.
1: <laughs> I would feel better about a, a regular season, a, an end-of-season awards vote. I just – they never give me one. So <laughs> my name never comes up. got to move. Yeah. I guess I got to get out of this crowded New York chapter. But But yeah. that, if we're just talking about, like, who is the best baseball player this year – I'd I'd feel better about that, but
0: <laughs> you can uh, you can join the long tradition of people penning here's why I left New York stories, but you'll be the very <laughs> first one to be like, "No, I just really want to vote for MVP, you know, and yeah. I never get to."
1: Yeah, exactly. I forgot to mention one transaction because it's not a player transaction, but the Phillies decided that they want to be in the Dave Dombrowski business oh, for yeah, they did for extend a few more Dave, years, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. He was already under contract for, I think, two more seasons, and now he is under contract for three more seasons beyond that. So another half decade of Dombrowski coming, which is interesting. I guess we had a long conversation about Dave Dombrowski and and his legacy and his accomplishments and how his modus operandi has changed as he has gone from place to place. And we kind of talked about him. Later in his career as the closer, you know, like you bring him in to put the finishing touches on yeah. the roster and just that last push to get into contention, win your ring, and he nearly got one for the Phillies and they want a pennant, and... Sometimes he will then move on or the team will elect to move on from him, (laughs) having kind of got what they wanted out of him. And the Phillies have decided that, no, we want this to be a long-term relationship. So we will see whether the shine (laughs) wears off the rose at some point or not, whether they continue to be pleased with him. Because I don't know that the Phillies, like— they had a a great outcome and i think he deserves some credit even yeah. though he didn't engineer the majority of that roster obviously which which predated him but because he is someone who comes in and spends a lot of money and trades prospects if there are any who are not nailed down he's more of a a short-term executive these days or or at least lately And then someone else has to come along and and cope with whatever state he left the farm system in after that. So I guess we'll see how that works when he's the one who has to deal with what Dave Dombrowski did before. But who
0: else could have come in with the approach to defense that Dombrowski did, which (laughs) I would describe as roads where we're going. We don't need roads, you know, like it's just it's like. I'm going to do it. You,
1: you had no notes or very few notes. So
0: <laughs> I later had some, you had some notes very later, specific yeah. notes. Mm-hmm. They were mostly for Reese Hoskins. <laughs> I stand by them even though I do enjoy watching him hit home runs. But I think I'm right about the first base defense, which remains not great. But mm-hmm. I guess the only other real transaction was the Dodgers non-tender and Cody Bellinger.
1: Yes. Yeah. Not a, a shocker, I guess. No. I mean, a shocker. In the sense In that some if senses, you had told yes. us that a few years ago, we would, we would have said, have well, like, wow, that's shocking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but more recently... Not as much, but it seems like he has a, a healthy market. Plenty of bidders yeah. for Bellinger who were banking on a bounce back. Wow, that was a lot of B-words. Yeah, I was you know, going to say, <laughs> whoa. not intentional. <laughs> I just found myself continuing to say B-words that I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so he will side somewhere, I mean, potentially with the Dodgers, just for less money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but,
0: I mean, that that does seem like, you know, in in all of the hubbub about his... His market, it also seems like we might just hear, you know, in a couple of weeks, like he's re signed for a deal right. that is more financially palatable to them. So,
1: yes. And yeah. it sounds like he wants a one year deal. Scott Boris has said, which makes sense. Yep. He is still young. Try to for rebuild the value. Bellinger
0: bounce back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: rebuild Bellinger's bounce back. Yeah. Pillow contract oh, no. kind of screws up everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: well, we're gonna we're gonna workshop it. We we can send it as a an exercise to like drama kids trying to get ready for <laughs> you know a show, a big show. Yeah, they might be sick of talking about red leather, yellow leather, or whatever it is.
1: The other thing, which I I saw actually on Twitter, and I think on your Twitter initially. Mm-hmm. So, Twitter working as designed, spreading articles to readers was the New York Times investigation into sports betting, (sighs) which was like a four parter, like a multi pronged deep dive into all aspects of sports betting and how it has taken over everything, (laughs) sports and the media and the country and lobbying. So there was one investigation that was about how sports betting became ubiquitous. That was a lot of B words too. Just the the lobbying that has gone on to make many legislators uh, positively inclined toward sports betting and, and getting it legalized. Pretty much uh, everywhere, not everywhere, what, 36 states now? California recently heartily Rejected that which was somewhat Surprising but uh, I
0: heard from One Ben Clemens that that was Maybe the best funded on Both sides initiative in In state history yeah I
1: I read about that too right And apparently it was Like maybe bad messaging choices Because uh, the the pro Sports betting forces were Trying to sell it as Not this sort of selfish Like hey just legalized sports betting so that we can make more money. But like, I think they tied it to a measure that was like reducing homelessness and and basically they tried to just like don't look over here at at the sports betting like we're doing this so that we can share some subset of the proceeds and and try to deal with with this other problem that people are concerned about in California and basically no one was buying that and then there was a a counter campaign that was maybe more effective at at pointing out the hypocrisy there or the lack of sincerity there. Anyway, that was – Roundly rejected, but for how long, I wonder. And then there was another deep dive about how states are quite soft when it comes to regulation and and legislation here, both because of the lobbying, which is happening on a a federal level, but also because states are often partners with with the sports books, and they're making money off this too, so they don't want to look too hard at it. And then there was a Dave Portnoy piece about how he's become a big public spokesman for the sports betting industry despite having accrued gambling debts of his own in his youth. Yeah. And despite well, everything about Dave and Portnoy. Despite, it's like
0: you reach this point sometimes with a, a person where you're like, are we going to talk about this very briefly in a way that does not do it justice or is it a three and a half hour long podcast? <laughs> right. And I think you made the right choice here. But yeah, yeah. despite the Dave Portnoy of it all shall yes, we Yes,
1: just gestures that at everything yeah and then the last one i think was in a way like maybe the most surprising and sort of disturbing yeah which was about colleges partnering yep. with sports betting companies yep. to basically try to get college students hooked on yep. sports betting <laughs> so and not
0: just college students like there does seem to be a, an effort to also um rope in their alum base as well mm-hmm. but i mm-hmm. think the part of it that feels yikes as I yeah. as I very articulately put it on Twitter was is the part where they seem to be trying to make early betters of of college students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Right. And I guess most of this wasn't super surprising, but because it was a big New York Times investigation, it got a lot of attention. Yeah. And, and there are certainly some outlets that are less likely to publish investigations like these because they're reliant to some extent right. on sports betting right. money, which which is also true to some extent in the Times' case, right? Yeah. Because The Athletic has a, a deal with, with something or other. Correct. And to the Times' credit, they went ahead with this anyway. So it's just it's hard to find really any media outlet, any sports media outlet that does not have some tie to sports betting, I guess fan <laughs> might no. be one potentially yeah. so there's that can't say the same for, for the ringer right the ringer has yeah. a, a big long standing partnership with FanDuel which is not something that has really directly affected me I have not really created sports betting centered content and, and have not ever been instructed to say or not say anything because yeah. of that partnership you know it, it finances the business to some extent like obviously I have nothing to do with with deciding to make these deals or not make these deals, and I'm not getting a cut of <laughs> sponsors of the Ringer, but in the sense that it underwrites the the business to some extent, as any yeah. advertiser or sponsor does, that. Adds to my job security, I suppose So it's just It's, it's so pervasive There's been such a spending spree On, on all sides and all platforms And by yeah. all companies That it's just hard to find anyone Who has no ties at all to this And we've talked about this before and, and I think if I could sum up our general stance It's like you can do what you want With your money if you can enjoy that responsibly I, I have no problem with people Being able to bet on sports Seems okay. People spend money and waste money in many ways. <laughs> so yeah. that's all right if you're not someone who has a problem with it. But A, there are people who have problems with it. And yeah. that seems to be a, a part of the business model. Right. Not even just kind of collateral damage, but like it's it's based yep. on attracting those people to some extent, and there hasn't been a, a ton done to protect them. And then B just we're not personally that interested in this stuff. And it's so ubiquitous and unavoidable that right. we get sort of sick of it eventually.
0: Yeah. I think that the reason that the university piece of it struck me as particularly troubling, I guess would be the word, is that, you know, that's not what the mission of a university, particularly a public university, should be. Like a university should not be trying to make customers or consumers or gamblers out of its student body. It should be trying to produce citizens, right? It should be trying to educate. And like the the pedagogic mission of a university is not to log into DraftKings, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I'm sure that there is a, a percentage of the U.S. student body, you know, university student body Across the country, that is already gambling, right? And that is already participating in sports betting. And it might be sports betting related to the university that they attend, but it feels very different to have a stated, invested financial interest in your students betting on stuff, right? Knowing that the reason that these industries are so lucrative and that these sports books are so lucrative for their parent companies is because people lose and they often Mm -hmm. lose. Often. You know, they mm-hmm. lose often. Sometimes they lose a lot. So I think that there's a much larger conversation to be had about where this fits into, you know, how education in this country has become about, you know, making state universities profit centers and trying to make them have a business model that's about money and not about Teaching people things and equipping them with skills and helping them to be sort of informed people out in the world. But this feels very much in that thread. It's like, you know, well, I guess the <laughs> I guess that not everybody's necessarily gonna get student debt relief, but like, you know, it's like you just got some people out from onerous student loans and it's like, well, what's one what's another way to Extract some money from them, we'll make them all sign into DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever. So it's just it's a bummer because it's like that's not what that place should be for. That place should be about helping you discover things about yourself and learn things about your the world and your community and kind of equipping you to be an adult in whatever you know profession or vocation or passion you're pursuing it should be about that and it shouldn't be about like extracting every last possible dollar from these kids you know I I don't want to infantilize them but I also don't think that it's you know, appropriate or consistent with like what the mission of these places should be for their schools to be like, no, don't, don't you wanna, don't you wanna, don't <laughs> you wanna, you know, like that's, it's not the, like, I don't know. It just bums me out. It bums me out. That's not what like the University of Colorado at Boulder is for. It's for looking at the mountains <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know, learning about whatever you learn about it. You see Boulder. <laughs>
1: Right. And a lot of this, uh, the lobbying, lobbyists do what lobbyists do. Sure. And so they praise the, the, the tax revenue projection. It's it's kind of like what happens with public ballpark funding, where it's like, this will be a windfall for everyone. And then it doesn't really turn out to be the case. And that's also the case with some of the rationales that the lobbyists have used to uh, convince legislators sure. that not only will this be a good deal for, for the gambling companies, but this will be just a... Good deal for everyone. This will be a public good, and unsurprisingly, a lot of that is uh, exaggerated, if not outright fabricated. So, yeah, this isn't going away, And, and as that Yasiel Puig scandal that surfaced recently where it turns out that he seems to have had a gambling problem on top of of everything else that's gone on with Yasiel Puig and he was placing many many bets and was not initially truthful about that and as far as was reported he was not betting on baseball but it does seem just sort of inevitable but at some point there's going to be some sort of (laughs) betting scandal and and that will be another reason to care about this.
0: And then what's the Associated Press going to do? You know, what's the Washington Post going to do? (laughs) Because this is why these outlets having like clear defined partnerships where they have a vested financial interest in the well-being of the gaming industry is a problem. Because, you know, you can disclose those conflicts and I don't want to impugn any of the of the reporters who work for those outlets. I'm sure that there are people on their sports desks or on their investigative news desks who would be great at, you know, sussing that stuff out. But it just it, it's part of why it's a problem, because mm-hmm. you can't. No, for sure, the cleanest way to do it is just to avoid those kinds of relationships. And it seems like such an ah uh, it just seems like a matter of when and not if when it comes to a big scandal impacting a major u s sport.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then what are they going to do? You know? So, mm-hmm. seems bad
1: well, in more heartening college related news, did you see the announcement that Brown University student Olivia Pachardo is going to be the first yeah. woman on an NCAA Division I varsity baseball team starting in spring 2023. She made the team, the varsity team, as a utility player, it sounds like, so there have been... Other women who have played college baseball, but not on varsity teams in D1. So this is uh, another nice milestone. So she has a a ton of baseball experience and has played at many levels and many kinds of competitions over the years. But, yeah, she just walked onto the team and impressed everyone. And that's uh, kind of cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, very cool. Very
1: Mm -hmm. cool. All right. So we can end. Maybe I have some stat blasts in the past blast as always it's been a while since we stat blasted also inbox scoop not scoop at all but inbox Justin Verlander and Albert Pujols just announced as the winners of the comeback player of the year awards that checks out <laughs>
0: okay I'm laughing and that feels mean but it's just funny because like One of those guys came back from Tommy John surgery (laughs) and one of them came back from being bad. (laughs) Just bad, yeah. (laughs) I think that those are fine. It's fine. It's fine and cool that Holes won. Like that is a cool (laughs) sort of feather in the cap, you know, little end note to a very neat season. I'm glad we Mm -hmm. got the season from him we did in his final year. But it is funny when the thing they're coming (laughs) back from is just being bad.
1: Right. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. And in Verlander's case, like Tommy John seems so routine at this point in some cases that like, oh, only a TJ, that's it. But When you're 39, 40, and you come back from that, and you win the Signing Award, I think that qualifies (laughs) as quite a comeback. So, yes. He was injured. He actually missed a year. Pujols just, uh, well, he missed many years in a sense, (laughs) but he was present the whole time. I think Dan Zaborski in his review of Zips projections, Pujols unsurprisingly was the hitter who exceeded his Zips projection by the most. And that was one of the best stories of the season. So well worth the hardware here. All right. So I was building up to the stat blast and the stat blast song.
0: They'll take a data set, sorted by something like ERA minus or OBS plus, and then they'll tease out some interesting.
1: All right, so today's Stat Blasts come from our listeners and also from frequent Stat Blast consultant Ryan Nelson, who is also on Twitter at rsnelson23. So I guess I will start with this one. This is Aaron Judge related. I am enjoying, by the way, all the headlines about Aaron Judge meeting with the Giants. Yeah <laughs> Because it just It always seems very appropriate Like he is himself a giant He's right. meeting with giants You're always meeting with a giant When you meet with Aaron Judge So that would be fitting If he ends up in that uniform But this question Is from Brian Patreon supporter And this was from Late September He wrote I have a war leaderboard question I was hoping you could help me out with I was playing around With the Fangraph's Combined war leaderboards For this year And noticed that Aaron Judge's War total to date Was significantly higher than the next closest player on his team, Jose Trevino, 11 versus 3.4. I thought that disparity was weird, but after a little more searching, realized it wasn't unusual. Shohei Otani had a not as big but still pretty big difference last year, 8 versus Max Stassi's 2.9 What I am wondering is If that level of disparity is unusual For a good team mm. A cursory search of playoff teams this year Has bundles of players at similar levels Of war at the top of each team's leaderboard Which makes sense Good teams usually have a bunch of good players So is Aaron Judge's value in comparison To his teammates on a good team Unusual? Could this be An argument for Judge's MVP case Over Otani? Well that ship has sailed I don't know if yeah. he needed another argument But Ryan wrote back that Judge this year isn't a record, but it is fairly historic, which I guess you could say about many things that Aaron Judge does this year. Judge had a difference of 7.5 war between him and the next best player on his team. The average team has a difference of merely 1.4. So Judge is way higher than normal. But the record is actually by the 1923 Yankees, who had a 15 war season from Babe Ruth, no biggie and the second best was 4.4 from Aaron Ward. The 2022 Yankees slot in at 7th all-time, funnily enough, 5th all-time for the Yankees, since four Ruth years are above Judge, but in modern times, 2022 Judge is second only to the 1972 Phillies, Steve Carlton, 11.1 war. Wayne Twitchell, 2.7 war. The Otani year he selected was tied for 23rd all-time, 9th since integration, so also way up there. And teams actually tend to have a slightly higher difference between best and second best players as their record improves. So I guess a good team more likely to have a special superstar season, perhaps. I don't know. That's semi surprising. It doesn't look like it's the the strongest relationship, but there is some kind of trend there.
0: We need more people whose last name is Twitchell.
1: Yes, I agree. Ah. I will, as always, link to the data on the show page. So that was one question. Now, we had another question. This is from listener Dennis, who asked a question about the most players managed by a manager, which was answered in a previous stat blast. And Dennis has followed up to say, similar to my question about the most players managed, I was wondering which fielder has put out the most unique players? Jake Beckley has the all-time put-outs record, but Eddie Murray has the record after 1952. That is the period during which play-by-play play data is guaranteed available or fully available via Retrosheet. So my question is whether there is a player who, through playing in both leagues for several teams over a longer career in the expansion era, in the interleague era, etc., who has put out more different players... Than Murray or Beckley, though I guess the latter would require too much guesswork. The obvious candidates to me would be Fred McGriff and Andres Galarraga. Mm. So Ryan wrote back. Now, this is entering 2022 because RetroSheet play-by-play data has not yet been released for the 2022 season. But Ryan writes, this is a timely question. As the two leaders all-time in players put out are the two retiring Cardinals legends. Yadier Molina, 1777, and Albert Pujols, 1742. The top of the list is littered with modern, long-time catchers and first basemen. Playing in both leagues helps too. Todd Helton, Brad Ausmus, Jason Kendall, Pudge Rodriguez, Brian McCann, Andres Galarraga, Joey Votto, and Derek Lee. Molina, Pujols, and Helton are in a league of their own. 1,700 plus putouts. No one else has 1,600. Murray is 32nd with 12.21. Beckley's total is unknown since it was before play-by-play as mentioned. Fred McGriff is 14th at 14.02. And Galraga is 8th at 14.59. So, yeah, I think Dennis was on to something there. But Yaddy and Pujols, most put outs. I don't know how I feel about catchers getting full credit for, for the put out. On like strikeouts, on, yeah. on outs like that. Pitchers should get some credit for that, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> I don't know. But you're going to get a lot of catchers and first basemen on yeah. this list, obviously. So that's yeah. why we see Yaddy and, and Pujols in Helton. All right. That was the second stat last. Here is the third. This is from Taylor from Tampa, who in early October wrote, The Yankees hit into a double play in six straight innings last night against Texas. Submitting for the listener-based podcast segment, is this something? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Ryan said, yes, this is significant. It ties the record. The record for most double plays turned in a game period is seven. The most consecutive innings with the double play turned is six, which has happened only twice before the Angels on May 1st, 1966, and the Blue Jays on April 16th, 1996, The Angels game was the fourth through ninth inning, all of which were inning ending as well. So, Hmm. yes, that was something, (laughs) that particular one. And lastly, this stop last question comes from the Facebook group where it was posted by Brent Blackwell, who wrote, Does anyone know where to find a breakdown of how frequently the game winning run is scored in each inning if such a thing exists? And so Ryan looked this up, too. He made a pretty graph, which I will link to on the show page. But essentially, it's relatively even through the first nine innings. No pronounced trend toward the game-winning run being scored in any particular inning. There is a, a bulge, though, in the middle innings, which is probably when starters start to get tired. And so maybe you're more likely to score the winning run there. So... It looks like the fifth and the sixth are the leaders, roughly Hmm. tied. Looks like 11% or so of game-winning runs are are scored in those innings. And Ryan went above and beyond, and and he broke it down several ways just by era. So he gave me all-time. He gave me divisional era since 1969, and he also gave me, since 2000, And then I think maybe an even more recent period. And and he found that there is a a small but statistically significant difference in recent years where the winning run is more likely to be scored in the middle innings and less Mm. likely in late innings. Which Ryan speculates is due to the rise of modern bullpens, which I think that Russell Carlton and perhaps others have, have looked into just it you know, you're less likely to blow yeah. leads and, and have right. comebacks. Not as much less likely, maybe as you would think, just given the wholesale restructuring of of pitching staffs, but but there is some trend there. And yeah, since twenty eighteen is when Ryan looked at here, I guess not including twenty twenty-two yet, probably, and it does look like there's a, a spike in, say, the seventh inning relative to these previous periods. So it does look like there's sort of a, a soft underbelly of the bullpen, where game-winning runs are more likely to be scored in those innings than than they once were.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And I guess also if you look very recently, probably you're going to see some uh, tendency toward zombie runner skewing things in early extra innings most likely as as well. So that's a thing. In fact, you can see that if you look at since 2018, there's a, a big spike in the 10th inning. So relative to all of these previous periods. So you're just more likely to, to get a resolution there. Not a surprise. We've lamented this many a time. Yeah. So that brings us to the past blast finally. And this is the past blast from 1933 and for episode 1933. Also from Sabre editorial director, Jacob Pemranke and Black Sox expert. And his headline here is 1933 Royal Rumblings for Relocation. He was very into the alliteration (laughs) here. So during the first half of the 20th century, Jacob Wright's relocation wasn't a hot topic in baseball circles. When new stadiums were built, they were paid for by the team's owners instead of being used as a threat for cities to cough up public money. But times were so tough during the Great Depression that some teams began to look elsewhere. Airplane travel was a few years away from making the West Coast a viable option, so Montreal emerged as a leading contender to land a major league team. Here's a report from Collier's Eye in June 1933. Quote, Montreal has been Major League Baseball mad for the past four years, and it is no surprise to the writer that the high moguls of the Diamond pastime seriously are considering a $1 million shift, which would find either the St. Louis Browns or Cardinals playing in the French-Canadian metropolis. The American and National Loop magnates can make few better moves than planting one of their white elephants in Canada. Montreal is larger than Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., and has a greater population to draw from than St. Louis. Eventually, Canadian ballplayers would be developed, and especially those bearing French names. (laughs) Only one hitch is seen in the St. to Louis-Montreal transfer. It would create an unbalanced division of five Western teams and three Eastern teams in the American League. However, all club owners are known to favor the deal as clubs visiting Sportsman's Park when the Browns are the home attraction many times do not receive railroad expenses, meaning low ticket sales did not even cover their travel costs. Jacob concludes, Montreal would not become a major league city until the 1960s. But the International League Royals remained a popular minor league team for decades, helping to integrate organized baseball in 1946 when Jackie Robinson played there. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Browns did not move to Canada in the 1930s, but they came very close to moving to Los Angeles in December 1941 until World War II disrupted their plans. The Browns eventually moved to Baltimore after the 1953 season. So there is an alternate history of the Expos or non-Expos, but yeah. some kind of team in Montreal could have been Canadian Major League Baseball decades earlier than there was. So that's an interesting one to to contemplate for Montreal fans who are still mourning the loss of the Expos and yeah, seriously. hoping that they get another team someday. Yeah, yeah. Good to know that baseball fever Goes back much farther than the Expos do. I guess that makes sense. (laughs) You would not expect the city to have gotten a team immediately after getting into baseball. So there were decades of interest and, and fervor, and it was a baseball hotbed long before they actually got a big league team and a minor league team even. All right. So that will do it.
0: Yeah, that'll do it.
1: All right, well, one late-breaking transaction that would have been handy to have on our radar a few hours earlier. The Angels made another trade after we finished recording. They have acquired Hunter Renfro from the Brewers in exchange for three pitchers, including the wonderfully named Jansen Junk. So Tyler Anderson, Gio Urshela, and now Hunter Renfro, who is probably the definition of an average Major League player. Two war in 2021, 2.5 war in 2022— And his projection, according to the Fangraph's depth charts for 2023, 2.0 war. That is exactly where we typically situate average, is two war. So the Angels are pursuing a strategy of radical averageness. Not just stars and scrubs. Not just two of the best players in baseball and a bunch of replacement-level players. But competent performers. They are lengthening the lineup. I will not fall for the Angels as a contending team in 2023. I will not fall for the Angels as a contending team in 2023. This is a new approach, at least. This is what they've been missing. Players in the middle of the scale. One more year of Otani, one more Angels run see how many more average players they can acquire between now and opening day. And that's not even the headline here, that this is an average player. This is also Mike Trout's lookalike, As we have joked many times, Hunter Renfro, the most Mike Trout-looking player in Major League Baseball, not named Mike Trout. I imagine that this will prompt many emails and effectively wild-style hypotheticals. Now that Renfro and Trout will be wearing the same uniform, they will be even more difficult to tell apart if they don't do a position swap and a jersey swap just to see if anyone is noticing at least once. Then they will be wasting a wonderful opportunity If they ever bat back-to-back in the batting order Or they converge for a fly ball There will be major Spider-Man meme potential Not to mention some broadcaster confusion Taylors and Tylers, look-alike outfielders Hunter Renfro and Mike Trout, who is a hunter What a wacky team And we could even get some great tweets about it Speaking of which, one more great submission for a favorite baseball Twitter tweet We did draft Jose Bautista following everyone as a great baseball Twitter tradition, but another nominee is a specific Jose Bautista tweet, and this was from October 1st, 2014. When Steve Simmons, who I believe is a sports columnist for the Toronto Sun, tweeted, The Kansas City Royals made no trades at the non-waiver deadline. The Oakland A's made two huge trades. Does at JoeyBats19 know about this? And at JoeyBats19, that's Jose Batista, replied, At Simmons Steve, who are you and why are you talking to me? 3,500 retweets and counting 7,000 likes. 200 plus quote tweets. And the tweet is still up. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged a monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going. Help us stay ad-free and get yourself access to some perks. Sean Hoer, Vince Cappadano... Alex Harrison, Sean McLaughlin, and Daniel Enden. Thanks to all of you. Remember, this is the one oasis on the internet, on podcasts, and sports podcasts specifically, where you will not be bombarded by sports betting ads, or any ads for that matter, and that is because of our Patreon supporters, who give all of our listeners the gift of an ad-free podcast. They also get access to the Effectively Wild Discord group just for Patreon supporters. They get monthly bonus episodes, they get discounts on merch, they get playoff live streams, they get ad-free fangraphs memberships and more they can also contact us via the patreon site and they like everyone else can email us at podcast at fangrafts.com. you can all join our facebook group at facebook.com group slash effectively wild you can rate review and subscribe to effectively wild on itunes and spotify and other podcast platforms you can of course follow effectively wild on twitter at ewpod, and you can find the effectively wild subreddit at r slash effectively wild Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. One more episode coming your way before Thanksgiving, and then we will clear out and give you the rest of the week to have holiday festivities. Talk to you soon. Never ramble, never gamble, never run. For someday you'll find you're all alone Don't be a fool like me Or happy you won't be Never ramble, never gamble, never run And never run.